breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to another episode of Reform This at Blaze TV's podcasts. I hope you've had a great week. I hope you had a good Memorial Day last weekend with your family, remembering those who gave the ultimate sacrifice. I hope and pray that all is well. And thank you for joining me. Thank you for taking the time to listen in on what I think are the frontline issues in Muslim Reformation, in reforming ideas to keeping us safe, national security issues, combating terrorism, combating political, theopolitical ideology that consumes a quarter of the world's population, if not more. And as you know, with these two Muslim congresswomen, we are starting to see it even dominate American discourse, where the radicals on the left have merged with the radical Islamists. And, oh boy, the voice of so-called moderate Islam has even gotten more and more and more difficult to hear. I want to step back and uh, rather than talk about something specific triggered by a event this week, talk to you about two things. And they center around, you know, you and I talk about Islamism or political Islam, theopolitical Islam. I threw around these terms quite a bit and I, I want to use this and bookmark this podcast as a episode that you and I will sort of get to the nitty-gritty of what exactly is political Islam. But before we do that, I pulled out a paper that a friend of mine reminded me about on the Islamization of knowledge. It was from the International Institute of Islamic Thought, IIIT, one of the Ikhwani, the Muslim Brotherhood Outposts of Thought, based in Northern Virginia initially, and then it was raided by the FBI after 9-11, had another office in Malaysia and continually reconstitutes itself, gets most of its monies, as you would guess, from initially from Saudi and then from Qatar, Turkey, and elsewhere. Most of the Islamist strongholds around the world. Now, the Saudis may have obviously pulled away from that in the last year and a half, but the bottom line is, is the theopolitical ideology of triple IT, leads to these concepts such as Islamization of knowledge. To my non-Muslim friends listening, you're probably saying, what the heck is that? What is Islamization of knowledge? Well, as we start to look at the threat of theocratic political Islam, theocratic Islam, you realize that the supremacism of the theocrats the shiuch, the imams, the sheikhs with the beards and the robes from Saudi to Egypt's Al-Azhar to Qom and Iran and Tehran to their Islamic Supreme Councils, be it Shia there or Sunni in Al-Azhar in Saudi or the Ikhwanis of Qardawi in Qatar. Their supremacism rests on the fact that Islam should dominate everything in your life. Now, for those of us that believe in God and have a strong faith, be it Islam, Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, any of the major faiths that so many in the world follow, 
God is a part of your life. So nobody's trying to say that people that believe God watches them at every moment and everything they do and every choice they make, that that's somehow a supremacist or oppressive. No. But when you start to build institutions and dictate to kids that creativity is not human creativity, it is Islamic creativity. Music is not human music or art, it is Islamic art. Science is not science for the sake of learning God's creation, it is Islamic science. What this does is it marginalizes any other type of thought, be it Christian, Jewish, atheist, secular, humanist, whatever it might be. This is exactly what the socialists and the Marxists and the totalitarian ideologies do, which is they begin to encompass every moment of your life so that it becomes an oppressive robotic system that suppresses and suffocates the individual rights, the individual identity, and the individual's diversity. You look at Triple IT's texts on Islamization of knowledge that I pulled from decades ago. And listen, this is not just a book that I had happened to read. I was stationed in Washington at Bethesda Naval Hospital. I did my internship there in 1992-93. Came back after serving in Operation Restore Hope on the USS El Paso for a year. Came back and served at Bethesda from 94 to 96. And then as a physician to Congress to 99. And during that time when I was in Washington, I made some trips out to take some courses at IIIT. I knew they were part of the Ikhwani network, but I wanted to see what the heck they were all about. So I met and had debates. I mean, obviously I was a young uh, 20-something guy, and but uh, engaged and, and gave a hard time to some of these uh, clerics, uh, uh, Jabir Alawani, and uh, a number of other ones. So let me read from you what they say about the Islamization of knowledge. It must be made clear, they say, that the Islamization of knowledge represents only one aspect of Islamization. In its entirety, the Islamization of knowledge is the comprehensive normative framework for individuals and society, for thought and action, for education and practice, for knowledge and educate, for organization, for the rulers and the ruled, for this world and for the world to come. By applying Islamization to everything one does, a Muslim seeks the pleasure of Allah. By practicing what is true and just through transformation and improvement to achieve happiness, peace, and security in this life and as well in the hereafter. There's nothing left, ladies and gentlemen. Islamization, they talk about Islamicizing everything. That is the definition of Islamism. It is an Orwellian oppressive concept in which every moment of our lives is guided by a theocrat's imposition of their order upon us. What more communist, what more oppressive system do you want? 
And then it goes on. Islamic knowledge. Let's. This is the part I, I really, as a kid, I, I couldn't understand. I'm like, how could there be Islamic knowledge? I'm, I'm an individual learning about God's creation, learning about life, uh, creating poetry, writing things, doing whatever I want to do as a human being. These are universal. Islam doesn't have a monopoly. It didn't make sense to me. But yet, you read this and you say, oh, if you're devout, you must believe that there was a corrective force in the Qur'an that Islamized everything. Yes, I believe the Qur'an is the word of God. But to say that it's a force that overwhelmed the world is a supremacism that rejects the very humility of the God that I know. And this is why we have reform. This is why we need reform. The Islamist supremacists say Islamic knowledge, quote, or Islamization of knowledge requires a proper and comprehensive Islamic methodology that seeks guidance from the revelation but does not render reason inert nor suspend its role. It reflects the objectives, norm, and ultimate purposes of revelation. It studies and grasps the guidance given by revelation to individuals and societies for constructing, transforming, and improving all that Allah has created. It teaches us how to formulate to understand our mutuality. The Islamization represents a type of knowledge based upon revealed norms and ideals of the divine message. It is related to all that is true, valuable, and precious in the legacy of the Ummah. Remember, the Ummah is the Muslim community and Muslim state, Islamic state, and the thought content of its scholars, thinkers over the centuries. And then it goes on to say that for the Ummah, Islamization knowledge is the utmost number one priority. And then it goes on to say that with Islamization of knowledge, the reformation of thought and methodology of legacy and contemporary sciences does not imply suspension of all other activities. Rather, it means that we should give due attention to provision of very spiritual and material resources. So, Listen, there's a lot more where that came from. But I think for you to understand what us liberal thinkers, classical liberal thinkers in the Muslim community are up against, you need to understand that the thinkers, the scholars, even these modern so-called scholars, they weren't modern. They were basically neo-Islamists who figured out how to you know, articulate in some kind of a taqiyya, if you will, a, a dissimulation, a pandering way to the West, a, a sense of modernity, but yet an overwhelming penetration into every aspect of, of life. That is Islamism. An overwhelming penetration of Islamic clerics and their ideas into every aspect of life. And then you get back to my mission. Our mission at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy is about the separation of mosque and state. That's a simple way to describe it. We can argue about separating religious institutions from state. But at the end of the day, if you, if you look back at this Islamization concept, 
You can describe the metaphor in so many ways. I believe personally that my relationship with God is a personal, spiritual, existential relationship about me being his creation and living a, a, a life of grace, a life of truth, so that I may be judged positively by my creator. But the things that I do in life, the Quran is not that detailed about. The things that I do in life, yes, they're guided by my morality and my ethos, my ethic. But they don't have to have an Islamization, Islamic flavor to them. They have a human flavor. It might be influenced by Jewish history, Christian history, my Christian friendships, my, my, my Hindu friends, my atheist friends, whatever it might be. It, it would become a flavor of who I am as long as I personally do not commit corruption and acts of sin. That's what God judges me on. But Islamization of every aspect of, of thought is absurd. And this is what the Islamists do in order to create an obsessive-compulsive plurality or majority that dominate and push forth Islamic narratives so much that the other narratives are drowned out and there is no diversity. The community becomes a monolith and it becomes an oppressive, evil, un-Islamic identity under the name of Islam. Un-Islamic identity under the name of Islam. And I say un-Islamic, I'm not doing takfir saying they're not Islamic. I'm just saying it rejects some of the Islam that I know. My Islam. It's their Islam, political Islam. But it rejects much of the Islam that I know. Yes, it's the dominant Islam. And I think some of the faiths went through similar things where they had some liberalization of thought and talked about the, the church starting to have, if you will, a dominance over some of the institutions in society and bringing God into them. But under, under the rubric of bringing God into it, it brought the church and its traditions into it until there were revolutions against theocratic control. And this is why you see these institutions, triple IT, radicalizing Muslims in a very subtle way. Nothing about terrorism. They reject terrorism, though they don't when they are working with clerics that legitimize acts of terrorism in Israel, legitimize acts of terrorism against American troops in Iraq, as Qadadawi did. And triple IT works very closely with many of these radical clerics. And this is why they were appropriately raided by the FBI in 2002. But these centers of thought that are producing texts that, that basically create a body of thought, a body of thought that then gives a pseudo-intellectual veneer to an oppressive mandate that dominates a culture, dominates a faith, is the definition of fascism. After 9-11, there was the term Islamofascism that came up. I prefer to call it Islamo-nationalism. 
Nothing wrong with some nationalism, but Islamo-nationalism is a fascism. And this is the core of it, is that the government then will... And this is why a lot of conservatives have a problem with the government having a department of education, a department of... Because once you start having governmental education, you start creating a youth that possibly may have a groupthink. Now, I get the mandate of the Department of Education. It was to make sure that no child is left behind, etc. But that's not how it ended up. And one of the smartest people, I think, on this issue was Bill Bennett, the former Secretary of Education, that wanted to shut it down appropriately. Yes, societies need to be centered on the education of their next generation, but maybe not necessarily through governmental bureaucracy. And, you know, we're left, we're left looking, well, how do we reform this? How do we get out of this, this morass of control of thought, control of ideology of what is Islamic and what is not by the clerics that do so? Now, you sit down at IIIT as I went to some of their courses. This was in the 90s, and they're all about debate. They're about precedents, looking at bringing in Western thought of democracy and liberalism and they use these terms not in their books but in their discussions and then Islamize them and make it seem like they're reforming but they're not so they talk about reform Tariq Ramadan talked about reform Qardawi has a book on reform Yusuf Qardawi is one of the preeminent Muslim Brotherhood clerics his reform is a modernization a more open-minded, if you will, discourse on political Islam, but it's still oppressive neo-theocratic thought. It is not classical liberalism. It is not about liberty and freedom. They don't use the language of human rights and universal rights. They use the language of Islamism. So we have to, if you believe in reform, if you believe in modernity, we have to reject Islamization of thought. We have to reject those who want to Islamize anything or everything. Yes, Islamize the mosques. They are Islamic, absolutely. Islamize our holidays. Islamize our interpretation of the Quran. Islamize our prayers, our weddings that are done in the name of faith. Absolutely, that's part of our faith. But once you step into activities of learning and society that you have creativity and 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 discourse that brings in ideas of the world of the society of your neighbors that should no longer be about islamization because you should be able to speak the same language of humanity to anyone and that is the argument we should be making with our kids our kids, no matter how religious and orthodox they are, should reject this concept of Islamization. Because along with the concept of Islamization comes the rejection of America, the rejection of Israel, the rejection of Western secular states. And democracy, because you can't Islamize that, because it is a bid'ah, an invention. 
It didn't exist under the Prophet. It didn't exist under Islamic ideology of the Quran and then the seerah, the stories of the Prophet and the Hadith. This is the problem, the dead end of Islamization. Now, if you start saying, well, they can be open-minded and start having these things be Islamic, then you're just sticking an Islamic label on something that's human, not Islamic. And you do that personally. You don't do it nationally or even in your neighborhood. You do that personally. Yes, I live a moral life that I think is Islamic, but I don't endorse campaigns. I don't endorse my medical practice and what I do based on an Islamic label. It's a moral, human, compassionate practice of integrity. This is the issue. So last, I talked to you that I wanted to talk to you about political Islam. And again, you look at, there's an imam in Sacramento, Luqman Ahmed, wrote a piece a while back, how political Islam undermines Islam, an American imam's perspective. And he opens and says, Islam is the only major religion in the United States of America where political and advocacy organizations eclipse its religious institutions, mosques and congregations, in size, influence, financial strength, and representation of its American adherents. Political Islam and the well-financed political Islamic strategists and organizations in the United States do more, in my opinion, to victimize and demoralize Muslim Americans than any of our domestic antagonists. The godless strategy that Muslim political leaders advocate in dealing with it hurts us where it really matters, at the core of our morality. Arguably, Islamophobia can get in the way of our achieving our American dream, although for most Muslim Americans, the evidence would suggest the contrary. The political Islamist public relations solution to Islamophobia, on the other hand, will without a doubt get in the way of our practicing our faith correctly. Here this imam is rejecting He's rejecting the whole platform of Islamophobia. So understand, ladies and gentlemen, what is political Islam? It is the operationalization of a faith community into a political party, into a lobbying arm. I see folks in other faiths say, well, let's ignore that because you've got political Christianity, political Judaism, political Hinduism. There's political everything in every faith. So therefore, Jasser's just, you know, being tough on his own community. Well, yeah, you can make the argument that many churches, synagogues dabble and, and often obsess on some political issues. There's no doubt. But then when they operationalize, we are based in a country that is based on Judeo-Christian values that rejects theocracy in our government. You go to the Jefferson Memorial and you read on the wall, the word Christian is not there, but God is there. Morals and values and inalienable rights of from God are there. So there is a language about these things that are universal and not based in one faith. So therefore, when we get to debate them and we get to adjudicate and legislate them, the lobbying groups and discussion is set aside for the basis of what is Americanism, which is a country under God, a country 
based in liberty, first liberty being religious freedom, and they said that that religious freedom could not be true if it was based in any particular form of Christianity, since there would be too much debate about which form, so therefore they said it needed to be the first freedom and under God, defended for all. Political Islam is a bigger, bigger, bigger threat because Islam has not gone through this process of separating church and state, of of preventing the establishment of religion. So when you have political populist Islamist movements that have political parties that want to put in a platform of Sharia into the government, then those movements, imagine if they become control, take control of an Islamic state. Ladies and gentlemen, that becomes Egypt under the Brotherhood. That becomes Iran under the Khomeinists. That becomes Qatar or the royal family that lets the Brotherhood run it. That becomes a form of political Islam that is the Saudis and their Wahhabi Salafi ideology. Now, they'll reject that. They say, no, 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 we are against political Islam because we are fighting the Brotherhood. They are the enemy now. Yeah, they're the viral political Islam of populist mass movements. Yeah, the, the, the corporate leaders of the you know tight-collared sheikhs, the petro-Islamic sheikhs, reject that, absolutely. And they're easier to deal with in some ways from a geopolitical standpoint, but for ideologically, there are five or six or hundred imams that, that, that are... Uh, you know, wagging the tail of the dog that is Petro-Islam. That's not a modern secular state. It is a Sharia state with laws that call for hudud punishments, inequality of men and women, all the evils that are 13th century interpretations of Islam are what the Saudi state is, so they might be against the populist Islamist viral movement, but they are another form of political Islam. An American, and I'll now quote the imam again, in American political Islam, the enemy is no longer the devil, the struggle is no longer against our nefs or ourself, and the goal is no longer salvation, the enemy has become Islamophobia. The struggle is against, and I think he's saying this obviously sarcastically, the struggle is against any dissent or criticism, no matter how constructive. So therefore, it's blasphemy laws. And the goal is to get them to like us and stroke our ego, no matter what it costs. Whenever a prominent American says anything good or positive about Islam, Islamic political advocacy and civil rights groups immediately urge that we inundate them with gratuitous letters and emails of thanks and praise. In their bizarre world of modern political Islam, how our Lord views us is irrelevant. What matters most is how other Americans see us. And I love this last sentence. By declaring Islamophobia the number one threat to Islam and Muslims in the United States, we effectively bypass the central doctrines of self-accountability, the moral fortitude, principles upon which our faith is founded. 
And thus you see why he said political Islam undermines Islam. So political Islam, ladies and gentlemen, is the same concept that IIIT talked about, Islamization. All these folks that want to intercalate Islam into every aspect of life, that in many ways was taught by the Prophet Muhammad. And the world is different now. As I've said to you before, was the Prophet Muhammad an Islamist? Did he believe in political Islam? Yeah, he was the head of state, head of military, and the messenger of God, according to us Muslims. But while that process of an Islamic state might have made sense in the 7th century, 18th century America and the West then started to teach us that democracy, republics based in freedom and liberty, are far preferable to any religious states. And we've evolved. And I believe if the Prophet Muhammad were alive today, he would be convinced, we would be convinced that that type of Islam that's personal and separates mosque and state and prevents the establishment of Sharia, the establishment of an Islamic state, is the preferable form of Islam and that we'd reject the Islamic Republic's period and put it into the dustbin of history. So the question is not what the Prophet did in the 7th century, but what he would do in the 21st century. And that he would reject political Islamic movements in the name of universal rights, humanitarianism, and in the name of freedom and liberty for all, equal under God, so that he may judge us individually and not force us into a collective, oppressive, Orwellian knot that suffocates us from being the ourselves and having choices. So, ladies and gentlemen, what have we learned today? If you start hearing Islamization, ask your Muslim friends what they believe about Islamization of thought. If they're teaching their kids that, they are the problem. That is the first multiple steps towards the pathway of radicalization of supremacism. No to Islamization of thought. Yes to God and morality and a centered society under God, under humanity, under universal human rights, the language that keeps us diverse in our individual ideas rather than under one faith. Number one. Number two, political Islam. Understand it. It's not just, a, it's a synonym for Islamism, but it's not just about, it's not just about, uh, you know, these movements. It's about a mindset that everything you do to be a good Muslim is to advocate not just for yourself and your 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 ideas but to do it in a collectivist way for society that you must impose it in some way upon everybody and that's why they build political parties for that islamic movement rather than for political ideas in and of themselves so much to talk about here ladies and gentlemen that is what I want to leave you with today. We have a unique experience and opportunity in the West as Muslims to be able to have these conversations. And as you listen to this, if you're not a Muslim, please have this conversation. The four or five million Muslims in America have a responsibility to start operationalizing these thoughts globally and to begin to reform the ideas and, and, and investing in strategies that can operationalize this 
to transform societies that are living under tyrannies that will never transform themselves without these ideas. But these ideas operationalized can, I think, transform the world. A quarter of the world's population is Muslim. So if we don't develop these ideas, their political Islam will develop us and constrain us, and there will be ultimately some type of cataclysmic confrontation. It's better to start with a strategy of what we're for rather than always saying what we're against. God bless you all. This is Zudi Jasper. We'll be back next week on Reform This. Subscribe on SoundCloud, on iTunes. Find us at blazetv.com backslash podcast. We'll see you soon. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.